When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And looking through all of the papers today, the most glorious, happy photographs of are people over the age of 70 arriving for their appointments yesterday to have the first of their COVID vaccine jab and seemingly from early morning yesterday at the GP surgeries that were lucky enough to secure some of the first of the vaccines. There seemingly was a steady stream of very eager over 85s who wanted to get in, roll up their sleeve, give me my COVID vaccine please. And a lot of doctors are quoted uh, in the papers today, including a doctor from, I think he's from Waterford, yeah, Dr McNamara, who described yesterday has been absolutely fantastic. He said it was great as doctors to finally have some real palpable positivity coming across to our patients and for our staff and for all of the colleagues. They say it's been a shot in the arm, pardon the pun, in to all of us uh, to be able to do this. He said all of the staff woke very early yesterday morning with great excitement as did so many of the patients and reports of patients turning up early and just everybody very excited and staff saying that the rollout went so well in all of the GP practices and that many patients said they were absolutely relieved to finally get their first First dose GPs who administered the vaccine to their older patients yesterday described the euphoria and said it was a ray of light after a year of uh, great uh, tragedy. And as I say, lovely photographs in all of the papers today. We will have one of our own local GPs join us on the programme today to discuss the rollout of the vaccine for the over 85s uh, and indeed just a general discussion around the rollout of the vaccine. Now when I mentioned yesterday that the doctor was joining us today already some people started putting in uh, questions so if you do have a question to put to our GP get it in because we're going to be doing it in the next few minutes so contact us please either by phone to John Paul or text or WhatsApp me here to the studio to 086 103 103 and one of the questions I will ask because there was a couple of calls in about this yesterday today and indeed across last week and that's people who were a bit nervous about the idea of getting an injection and that people are actually put off by those photographs that I'm talking about today because in every single one of the photographs of these euphoric over 85 uh, year olds I think in nearly every single photograph there is a needle either about to be put into the person's arm or the needle is already in the person's arm and I know we had people yesterday saying that they've stopped watching or they've to move away from the TV when the scenes come on of anybody being vaccinated that they just don't like watching somebody else getting the injection 
And then that led to some people saying they're just very nervous about injections. We've had people saying, is there any chance that you could get the vaccine in tablet form? And I've looked into that and no, unless down the road they'll invent a vaccine that comes in tablet form but certainly all of the vaccines that are being administered at the moment and all the ones that look like they're coming on stream are by injection only so I will ask the, our, our GP about that about that people being nervous because I think it would be dreadful that somebody missed out on a vaccine because they're nervous about getting the actual injection itself which anyone who has had the shot so far will tell you it's a tiny little needle and many of you reported saying barely felt it barely felt the injection uh, going in so just to try to allay people's fears and how do you get over that anxiety and that nervousness and it isn't just about the COVID vaccine these are people who are just nervous about getting any type of an injection so I will uh, put that to our doctor in a couple of minutes and just staying on vaccines and any kind of good news stories that we can find about vaccines the single dose Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine should be available in Ireland by April that's the one now that people are saying is going to be the game uh, changer and I know Micheál Martin used that phrase yesterday because when we'd been talking about the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine everyone was saying that is the game changer for the over 70s but then of course as we know it was decided in this country that it wouldn't be given to the over 70s and then said they had to go with the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine instead so then it didn't become the game changer that everybody thought it would be so now all eyes are focused on Johnson and Johnson and Micheál Martin yesterday he was doing an interview with uh, TG Cahar and he said that there would be a significant uptake in supplies from uh, April um, and we'll see large numbers being vaccinated and he reckon large numbers of people being vaccinated by the end of the summer. They're still on target to have everybody over 70 inoculated by mid-May. Uh, the Cabinet also said yesterday that if the AstraZeneca could be approved for the 65 to 69 year old age group, that means that that age group would also be vaccinated by mid-May but they're trying to see if it, they can get approval for the, for the Oxford vaccine to be used on that age Age group instead. Now, Johnson and Johnson applied yesterday to the European Medicines Agency. They're the ones who will give them the authorization, and then once they give the authorization, the rest of the EU countries then can start looking at it and start getting in their their supplies of the vaccine. The difference with the, the Johnson and Johnson, as opposed to any of the other three that be given approval, is it's a single dose uh, vaccine, and if it if it gets approval in the coming weeks, it means then it would be available and ready probably by about mid-April. We could expect GP practices in Ireland to have the Johnson & Johnson vaccine available. The regulator in Europe announced that Johnson & Johnson had applied uh, yesterday but the European Medicines Agency also said that the process this time round for this particular vaccine will be quicker than usual because the company has already been submitting data on a rolling basis. They didn't send all of the data in together as the other three vaccines that are already in use did. So they've so the European Medicines Agency have been looking at the rolling data. So the final sort of piece in the jigsaw arrived yesterday. Now the EU, the, the reason that the Johnson & Johnson gives us such great source of hope, the EU have already procured 200 million doses of the Johnson & Johnson and 
vaccine and they also have an option to buy the same again, another 200 million doses. And if they did, that would mean that we here in Ireland would be in line to receive the initial dose 2.2 million doses because we know it's based on our population. So that's where 2.2 million doses the first of it starting to arrive in April that's where it would be the the big the real real uh, game changer but the reason that everybody talks about the Johnson & Johnson one a little bit also really like the AstraZeneca one the vaccine requires only it, it only requires a single dose but it also can be stored in normal fridges and it's seen that's why it's really seen as the one that will make the big big difference in this country trials show that the vaccine has a 72% efficacy in preventing mild to moderate COVID-19 infections and an 85% efficacy against severe illness. illness. Uh, the Cabinet was also, by the way, updated on two other vaccines yesterday. One is the Novavax. There's been talks about that for quite some time. And another one, this is a new one on me, and one called Valneva. And the Valna vaccine has a very long shelf life. So the idea of the Valneva, when that arrives, that that actually could be used, uh, it might find use as a booster shot. We still don't know yet. People are going to need booster shots uh, six months a year after getting the initial vaccine. So it is possible because this Valneva has a long shelf life that it could be used uh, for that. So there's other uh, there's other vaccines in the pipeline as well. But all eyes now at the moment are on the Johnson and uh, Johnson one. And then uh, Anne on vaccines says, uh, Patricia, I was speaking to my cousin last night who is a doctor working in a very busy London hospital. He got his first Pfizer vaccine dose in late December and he's very anxious as he still hasn't received his second vaccine. Everyone in the UK is getting one dose so the UK aren't doing the whole vaccine right at all. The first dose is 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 no good without the second dose given within a certain period. So Anne says, I feel Dar- uh, Ireland is doing it right. Right, Boris is so stupid. OK, on the Pfizer vaccine, yes. He, uh, actually, I'm really surprised to hear that your cousin didn't get the second vaccine within it was initially 21 days, but they pushed it out then to uh, 28 days. But it's a little bit different for the, the Oxford AstraZeneca, which is the vaccine that has been used the most in the UK. It's the one that they're rolling out uh, to most of the population. They've proven with that one that the longer you leave between the first and the second, having the first one in, you start to build up the antibodies. And the longer they wait to give the second one, the better the efficacy once you've had your second uh, dose. But certainly on the Pfizer one, they say in the ideal world, uh, 28 days after the first, you should be getting your second one. But they're still building up immunity. There's still immunity being built up. Uh, but hopefully he will get his second dose very, very soon. Because if he got it at the late December, he should have been getting it late January, he should have been having his second shot. So he's already over the the time date for that. So hopefully he will get that vaccine uh, soon. And talking of something arriving late, this made me smile when I saw this uh, this morning. Hi, Patricia. I was one of the ones who texted you last week regarding parcels to Australia for my granddaughters. I posted them on the 7th of December and they hadn't arrived. Well, can I tell you, I was overjoyed with the news last night that they have arrived safe. So you were right last week when you said never give up, up hope. Uh, really enjoyed the programme. Thank you for that. And thrilled to hear that the parcel has uh, arrived. And we have been, every time I mention and every time I get a call in like that or read out a text like that, I inevitably will have somebody else come on and say, oh, I'm still waiting or I've got loved ones still waiting on a parcel. And then lo and behold, a day or two later, the parcel uh, arrives. It's it's worldwide with the postal service because the post offices 
all around the world postal services are just working flat out because of the pandemic and because so many people are ordering items online I mean even our own on post they were their parcel delivery at Christmas was 300 times what it was the previous year and Christmas is always their busy busy time but to go up by 300% I mean it was just staggering they do our postmen and women do the most amazing work I had an email in from a listener and I'm wondering is this happening in many other places it's to do with businesses looking for exact money if you're not using a card looking for exact money and not giving out uh, change and it says hello I was in a coffee shop on Monday when I witnessed an elderly gentleman being told that he could not pay for his coffee in cash unless he had the exact amount for the cup of coffee as a new policy stated they cannot hand out any change as I'm well aware myself I deal with a lot of elderly customers in my own job. A lot of them only deal in cash and don't necessarily have a bank card that they could use or they simply might not be carrying change. It was 2.80 was the price for the cup of coffee uh, uh, with them. They might have that exact amount of money on them. It really made my blood boil to watch this man who had to leave the shop because he got a bit flustered about it all, had to leave the shop to go out to his car to see could he find the exact uh, 2 euro and 80 cent. I just thought that businesses should be grateful that they're open and that people are coming in and that they're getting customers during this pandemic. After all, cash is legal tender and there should always be a float in the till with change to give to customers. The actions of the staff clearly flustered the poor gentleman because he didn't seem to question it at all. Believe me, says Neve, it'll be my last time that I will go for a cup of coffee uh, there. And that all seems a bit bizarre because if the man had to hand in €2.80, that means that they would have change inside in the till for, say, the next person who came in who handed in €3. They could have 20 cent out of the money that the man with the €2.80 handed in. And the, the idea that they don't, they don't, they cannot hand out any change, again, doesn't make sense because if it's that they don't want their staff handling cash, but should the man would have to hand in or any customer would have to hand in the exact sum, in this case, 280. So they're handling money in that regard. What's the difference between handling money that's handed in as opposed to handing money back out for change? doesn't make any sense to me. I do know that there are some businesses that are dealing in cards only. I don't know if there's many of them now, but there certainly was at one stage during one of the previous lockdowns some of the businesses only wanted to do. And I know businesses are encouraging people to just use uh, cards. But even a email is right. There are a cohort of people who only deal in cash and it can sometimes be the older generation, not just the older generation, you have the younger generation as well, but, but there would be more in the older generation who don't have bank cards and who only deal with cash and maybe collect a pension every week at the post office and they deal week to week and they like to work from cash and like to know you know how much money they have, etc. So they wouldn't have the facility uh, to use a card. But I'm I'm really taken aback that a business would do that. They'll accept cash from people. Has to be the exact amount because they don't want to be hand, handing out change. But they're taking the money in but not handing the change out. I, I find that one a bit of a head scratcher. If they were just going down the we are only using cards 
I could understand it. But to be accepting cash but not giving out change. Any other business doing that? Is, is this particular coffee shop standing out or are there many other uh, coffee shops or other businesses? It doesn't, doesn't just have to be a coffee shop or maybe there's other businesses doing that as well because uh, I certainly never heard I haven't heard of that been done before for sure. 1850 at 333-103. We are keeping a close eye on what's coming out from the Cabinet because we know they're meeting this morning about schools and in particular about the Leaving Cert and we are going to keep a close eye if anything does break on that story throughout the morning. We certainly will bring it uh, to you. And as I've already mentioned, yesterday saw the first of the over 85s receiving their COVID-19 vaccine in the community. Many people law wondering when will it be their turn to talk about the current rollout. I'm joined by Middleton-based GP Dr Mike Thompson who works out of the Immokilly Medical Centre. Uh, good morning to you Mike. Morning Patricia, how are you? Uh, uh, very well and uh, we, we appreciate you taking our calls. Have you received vaccines at your surgery this week? So, um, no. We There are 84 nationally this week. We're done Patricia. So it was really, I suppose, just uh, the initial rollout. Next week will be a much larger rollout. And certainly by the following week, we would expect that all people over 85 would be starting to get their first vaccine. So So do you have a date yet? Yeah. So actually, it's a different. I'm the clinical lead for the CIT hub where there are 30 GP practices coming together to give it. Okay. So um, I'm probably not representative. Um, A lot of the very, very large practices will be getting vaccines this week most next week and the remaining the following week. So, like, for instance, the first cohort is those over 85. Um, In the CIT hub, they will start on the 27th of February and they'll have their second one four weeks later. Okay. Two weeks after that, the 80 to 84s will have their first. Two weeks after that, the 75 to 79-year age cohort will have their first. And two weeks after that, the the 10th of April, the 70 to 74 so in, in, in the CIT hub, we will be finished everyone on the 8th of May. Everyone over 70 whose practice is, is linked into the CIT hub will be finished by the 8th of May. And, so, the, and the CIT hub, it just runs on a Saturday, is it? We're, we're just doing Saturdays for now. Okay. It has the capacity to expand. So the benefit of, so obviously these were for maybe for smaller practices who would maybe less over 70s or GP practices who found that their premises weren't maybe ideal. They may have been upstairs, etc., or some practices who just felt that the synergy of a lot of people coming together, we can get through certainly very, very high volume of numbers very safely, still socially distanced in the CIT hub. Um, we find that, I suppose, because the, it, it, the game changed a few weeks ago when it went from AstraZeneca, Patricia, to Pfizer, so the preparation and storage is a little trickier. Um, so plans had to be kind of altered very quickly uh, overnight. So the CIT hub is where I, I think we've over 3,000 patients are going to get wow. their vaccine. Wow. So how many a day do you expect to get through? Uh, so, um, interestingly enough, obviously the over 85 cohort, Trisha, would probably be the least populous. Um, yeah. So that would be like approximately 10%. And then because there will be parallel clinics running, uh, there will be a little bit of overlap and it will be the same for your GP too. So some cohorts will be getting their second vaccine on the same day that some people will be getting their first. It will be very strictly as per age cohort. Your GP will contact you. D- d- don't worry, okay? Mm. We're not all starting on the exact same day uh, because of vaccine deliveries are spread out over two to three weeks. 
but the it'll be strict age cohorts starting at 85 years and over and working down then in cohorts of five years to get to 70. So I think by Easter, the vast majority of people should have had their first vaccine. Now, plus or minus a week or two either way. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's and, and we're consenting a lot of people now, lots of phone calls. Um, no, no one declined it yet in our practices, which is really heartening to see. And I think it's it's a it's a privilege to be able to offer it, and it's you know the the, the first people we're vaccinating, I suppose um, Saturday week, none of them were born before or after 1936. You know, so it's incredible. And yeah. I was I don't know if you've seen any of the papers this morning. The 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 sense of the doctors talking about the sense of euphoria Absolutely. yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> people yeah. people turning up early. People hadn't slept the night before. It's real light at the end of the tunnel stuff, isn't it? For the particularly yeah. for that age group. Yeah, who really, uh, you know, and I, who have had a sense of fear and vulnerability, and have really cocooned and isolated, um, and had to. So it's great to see the beginning of the end. I suppose we're still peaking. People will need to wear masks. They'll need to socially to restrict. You know, that they're distancing. Certainly, when they're at the centres. The first vaccine gives 70% cover. The next one increases that much, much higher. It really is stopping severe disease. Um, but it's great. It's a very, very good news day and a good news week. Can you explain that? The, there's a lot of questions in on that very point that you've made, in, including Tom and Rath Gormick says, why do we have to wear the mask after we receive the vaccine, even after we get the second dose? If we can't get it, our, why, yeah. why must we continue to wear masks? I suppose because not everyone is getting it at the same time, Patricia. That would be one thing. So we, okay. uh, we are, I mean, I, I would always say that, you know, my mask protects you. Um, so there is that. There is this herd immunity which we'll have, but we will see what, what you know, the, unfortunately the older population is most at risk. You can see that from the, from the tables. And as it comes down, restrictions will be eased sequentially. I still think we do need to follow the public health guidelines. Um, so, you know, I don't think people should be booking their holidays after their second yeah. vaccine. Yeah, because Anne says when you get the, after the second jab, is it safe to go out then? This is for somebody who's yeah, obviously so been shielding. To, yeah, up to three to four weeks for full effect for the vaccine's um, antigenicity to kick in. So, yes, it will be a lot safer. Mm. Yeah. Now, again, we will have, you know, this is the over 70s I'm talking about. We still have a lot, lot of vulnerable, medically vulnerable people in the under 70s category. Um, and that still has to be finitely worked out when it's very strictly age-based over 70. What is going to happen when it goes to under 70? Is it going to be age-based? Is it going to be illness-based? Um, questions, you know, that, that, that yet need to be done. Um, a few little things. I suppose people who are truly bed bound, we need to find a process and a mechanism to reach out to them as well. I think the HSE are working on that. What if someone has COVID and misses a dose? Um, so there are lots of there are lots of unique scenarios. I think we have the answers to most of them. Yeah, you've you've highlighted of so many questions that have come in this morning. You know, people with somebody in with a disability in their sixties. When will I be vaccinated? Somebody who's got diabetes in their fifty fifties. When will I be vaccinated? My elderly mother is housebound due to mobility issues. She's over eighty five. Will she get the shot? Uh, so there's no one's going to be left behind. No. But there's no now, definitive sure. dates for people because of the Pfizer vaccine. It cannot be transported um, okay. outside to house calls. Um, there are truly bedbound people, 
there are some people who are housebound. I mean, I think if they were going to their local surgery or their hairdresser or their ma, they can probably get down. This is, I mean, t- t- the chance to get this vaccine. So I think very few people will need. To, uh, it probably may be the national ambulance service, the army, etc., doing the house calls. But it, it's it may they, that population may well need to wait for a later vaccine. Um, so I do think it's in everyone's interest. You know, you're put, put, put the wheelchair in the car. You know, um, we can we can really, really reach out to that people too as well. We'd love to include everyone in it. The under 70s is trickier. Um, you know when, we know exactly when the over 70 should be given. The under 70s, e- even us as GPs struggle to, I suppose, se- sequence who, who, you know, for age, for sickness, who should get it next. Um, I mean, you must remember, teachers, pharmacists, dentists, guards, army, prison officers, they who are providing frontline services, most of those haven't been vaccinated yet either. It's tricky to, to decide who's who's next on the program. And I know they're it, working on a new list. Yeah, the new the new schedule is yeah. the, the new algorithm is coming. And I think the HSC have an unenviable task. If there was unlimited vaccines, it would be very straightforward. It would be just a case of, but I do think come April and May, I think the stream of vaccines is going to exponentially increase and you can see the 40 centres, um, CIT will turn into a mass vaccination centre when we're finished the over 70s there. Um, and the, the 40 centres nationally will be able to throughput thousands of patients. Yeah. Today. So the Johnson, I mentioned Johnson & Johnson because yeah. they've applied to the European Medicine Board yesterday. That's a single dose single and, and can be kept in the fridge. That's a big, yeah. that'll be a big, and 2.2 million is, is our allocation for yeah, that. Yeah, that'll be the game changer. Yeah. I think really. Um, we find our biggest thing at the moment, Trish, is probably the space. Um, that's why I think the CIT hub is quite attractive for me. The To keep people two metres separate, especially if they have companions, to watch them for 15 minutes afterwards. Um, but I think general practice is responding and we're, there's quite novel ideas and lots of uh, solutions being found. I suppose this is the first time anything like that has been happening, so there is a little bit of learning as we go it's to try and get as many numbers as quickly and as safely as we can. And I think that's going to happen for the next few weeks. Now, you've mentioned that the over 85s, it's strictly been done by, and the over 70s, it's strictly been done by age group. Age cohort. There's a There's a couple of people have fallen almost between the t- stools. A question, please, for Dr. Mike. I'll be se- I won't be 70 until June of this year. So I assume I won't be in the over 70s category for the vaccine. Would the fact that I've type 2 diabetes move me up the category? I also have other health uh, problems. Uh, also, is it the AstraZeneca that's been used in the 60 to 69-year-old age group? Does Dr. Mike know? That's from Mary yeah. and from Oi. Uh, yeah. So, again, I wouldn't comment on any individual person. It is unlikely because we'll be going off age cohorts for the over 70. There are people who will become 70 within the campaign. Yeah. They will be included. Okay. Okay. So, but for people who are not 70, the campaign really, you know, it's a six-week campaign, essentially. It will have to end at a certain time. But I think before this campaign ends, we will be starting the under-70s. I think that will be running in parallel. So I would think that... Wait for that call. Very quickly, she would be, soon after, she would be vaccinated, yeah. OK, and then loads, I so many people, when I mentioned yesterday that you're coming on in the programme, all asking the same question. People, Mike, who are genuinely terrified of getting 
an injection. Like somebody is even saying, is there any cream that could be given to deaden the arm so I won't feel at the injection? People are saying that they can't even watch on the TV when yeah. injections are, are, being, are being given. As GPs and all the vaccinators, you'd be very aware of that, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, needle phobia. Yeah. Um, and it's not just children who you have to coax and control, but, but generally, I, I think, you know, getting an intramuscular vaccine, there's a small pinch. I, I've had my two, thankfully. It is momentary. I mean, and when you consider what the complications and potential of getting COVID-19 is, like being breathed for with a tube down your throat for months and end, having catheters put in you, having 10 blood tests today, I think it is intramuscular injection. It's, it takes one second, one second, you know. We don't really recommend the local anaesthetic creams. Um, freezing, we don't recommend either. I mean, I get the needle phobia. I don't have an easier answer for that. Just don't look at the needle. Don't we'll do all that? Because <laughs> somebody's saying, "Is there any hope it to come out in tablet form?" And I, I said, "No, that's not that there, I know of. There's none. Of, there's none in tablet form." There, there is lots of novel stuff, Patricia, but at the moment, no. I okay. Mean, you know, we would hope to get. I mean, the HSC are hoping to get the vast majority of the population done. You know, late summer, early autumn. I, I think. You know, there's lots of vaccines coming down. We may have six or seven vaccines at the end of this. I think vac- we will be swimming in vaccines coming down. Thank the God. Thank God. So now, be great. and yeah. then the other question that there's an, a number of listeners are asking about is possible side effects from the vaccine. One listener says, a friend of mine had her second jab and felt really off for a couple of days after yes. the second one was fine after, after the first one. Yeah, so most, uh, I, 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 most of the over 70s will probably get the Pfizer vaccine. It's interesting that side effects are less for the older population than the younger population. After my first vaccine, I had a sore arm for a few hours. And after my second vaccine, I certainly felt quite nauseated and weak for one day after the second day. But as you go up in age, the side effects reported are less. It is a very, very well tolerated vaccine. That's interesting, really. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can't explain that. but um, I, And we'll get people to take some paracetamol, but it, it is really well tolerated. Questions about I'm on blood thinners, questions about I have severe allergies, all those, you know, that's why every case is individual and will be consented by their GP who will know them best. Um, So there are a few little quirks along the way. um, But I do think, you know, I I think most people, certainly the over 85, will probably be getting, I expect, a phone call. I, I don't know if texts and email that, you know, mm. um, but certainly when we come down the age court, it, you know, I, I think the 77 year olds are very tech savvy. They're used to booking Ryanair flights all the time. Yeah. They'll be getting texts and emails and stuff like that and they'll need to contact their GP um, however their GP wishes to, to run through about the date and timing and schedule of the vaccine, their consent and whether they're eligible. Okay, and the GP practices that will be with you in the CIT uh, campus, yeah. are they from East Cork, North Cork? Are they from all over? All over. All yeah. over, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And is that, the only, is that the only one that's doing the over 85s? The City no. Hall? It's not doing it. So at no. the moment it's the CIT or MTU, I should call it. Um, yeah, I know. We, we still have to get used 70s. to that. Yeah, um, be, that then when we're finished or even midweek will turn into an under 70s mass vaccination centre um, so I, I do think there will be a pretty seamless rundown through the ages mm. I, I can't answer yet whether it will be age or disease will be the next criteria We're waiting we're waiting to yeah. see what the next the next sequencing yeah. is going to be Alright uh, so are you excited about it Mike? Yeah I, I think we've had a long year we've had a yeah. long campaign you can see but um, even uh, 
couple of people in now today and we're consenting them and they're delighted. Yeah. They really are delighted. And that's, it, it's great. When you see the death rates, unfortunately, in the over 85 that we've seen, um, you know, running of 10, 15%, to know that you, you, you will quite literally be saving lives by getting them done, you know, the week after next. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's I, I think science is, Science has stood up, you know. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Okay, and just one final one. If somebody's had COVID, do they still get a COVID vaccine? Absolutely, different strains. But if you've had it in the last four weeks, your vaccine will be deferred. If you've had another vaccine within two weeks, your vaccine will be deferred. If you've had serious, severe anaphylaxis requiring hospitalisation, you need to discuss with your GP. And you, if you were on blood thinners or had very low platelets, your GP will just make a note of that for your vaccine. Okay. It is, if you're on warfarin or blood thinners or aspirin, it's still okay for you to get the vaccine. Okay, fantastic. Okay, listen, uh, I appreciate you taking time out to Thank talk you. to us uh, today. No doubt we'll talk again. Thanks for that. Thank uh, bye bye. That is uh, Dr. Mike uh, Thompson from the Immokilly Medical Centre, but he will be the person responsible for running the clinics for the over 85s. In we keep calling it CIT, but of course they got a new name, didn't it? It's the MTU Munster Technological University. It's the old CIT campus in uh, Bishopstown. 1850 John Paul taking your call. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And talking of what's up, there's uh, a text in and thank you. So many texts coming in. We really appreciate them. But I want to give a shout out to this because Margaret contacted us to say, would you please read out this text on the radio today? It's about county council workers, the ones that work on the road. I'm always hearing people give out about them. Well, I am come today singing the highest of praises for them. They did fantastic work in copying this Monday morning, right outside my home, after a huge hole arose out of the bad wet weather last weekend. My God, you should see them men work. It wasn't just a pothole. The whole dike had to be built up with stone boulders, etc. Well done to each and every one of those men. They don't get enough praise or thanks for it. Where would we be without hard-working physical men? And that's from Margaret. Well said, Margaret. So to all the hard-working physical men, especially those in the County Council, take a bow. Margaret in copying, really appreciating the work that you did last Monday. And an email in from asking me, this is from Mia and Libby. Will you please wish our wonderful Nana and our wonderful Nana is Nell O'Donoghue a fabulous birthday today. She is described as the best Nana in the world and we love her so much and that's from Mia and Libby. I don't know where Nell O'Donoghue is but wherever you are Nell I hope you're having a wonderful birthday. Number of people commenting on Neve who contacted us by, by email who witnessed the elderly man trying to pay for his cup of coffee and was told it had to have exact money he didn't have a card and he had to fix that money because they weren't giving out uh, change. A couple of people on about that. Somebody said, some businesses want cash only. Surprised by this one. I was paying by card and the cashier was looking for cash and then didn't give me a receipt. I, I, well, I'm, I know some businesses are saying, do you want the receipt or not? Because some people don't want to be handling an extra, you know, something that's handed, handed over. Surprised to hear somebody wouldn't give you uh, a receipt, especially when you pay by cars. That one is really uh, strange and strange to hear of a business who isn't accepting 
who who only wants cash because it's normally the other way around. Burr says, Patricia, I'm buying a coffee without a card. I will not pay by card for something that would be very small money. For example, like that cup of coffee, uh, two euro away she sent. It seems ridiculous to me to use a card. Cash is king in my book, says Burr. I use cash always. I even bought a new TV recently and I went to the bank and I withdrew the money that I needed to purchase the TV. The shop, by the way, didn't have any problem taking my money either, says Burr in Cork City. Thank you for that, Burr. And then another listener is making the point that if shops, and in this stage, it was a coffee shop in this instant, if they're going down that route of saying that if you're going to pay in cash, you have to have exact, exact money, then surely there should be a very clear sign up telling people so that when you go into the shop or when you're queuing up, you can see that they are ex- looking for exact money uh, because this system says it could be an older person. Oh, indeed, I'd say it could be any person that won't have the exact money with them all of the time. And if they're going to go down that route, then they should have a sign up saying it. And then another listener is saying on using cash machines, this listener feels that businesses should have hand sanitizer near or beside the cash machines because obviously everybody's pressing all of the buttons now I take it a lot of businesses have some kind of a cleaning regime where they where they clean them but yes you're right it's one of the reasons I, I always have a little bottle of hand sanitizer in my bag for when I do need to use a cash machine if I'm withdrawing cash but I was in it was done stores taking money out of a machine inside in one of the stores and right beside the cash machine is a hand sanitizer up on the wall and I, w- I was quite impressed with that. But yeah, I, a lot of businesses don't have hand sanitizers besides the uh, cash machine. So it might be something that some of the businesses might consider uh, doing. Hi, on vaccines. Hi, Patricia. I'm wondering what happens to people who do not have a registered GP here or cannot get a GP as none of the GPs are accepting new patients. How will they be contacted when it's their turn for the vaccine? Now, I'm assuming this is somebody under the age of uh, 70 because everybody over the age of 70, I'm assuming, uh, is registered with uh, a GP. You won't have to worry about that because what's going to happen when the vaccine is available to the general population, when enough of the vaccines arrive and all of the big vaccination centres are open, and it's you know it's the general population they have all of the at risk groups done what the the HSE are going to do is they are going to have a portal online whereby you will register to say that you want to get a vaccine because they can't let GPs contact everyone because there will be people and there are people who've decided for their own reasons and it is their own reasons not to get the vaccine I think they're in the minority I think the majority of us can't wait to get the vaccine but when it comes to the general population what will happen is you'll go on to a HSE website they'll open up a special portal and you'll tell them that yes you want to get the vaccine and then they will they will they'll ask you where you're living etc and then they'll tell you where's the nearest available slot and it could be that you're going to a GP practice or it could be and more than likely it will be when it's open to the general population that you'll be going to one of the vaccine sites, the centres that was mentioned, the 37, or we're saying 38 because of uh, Millard Clonacilty, you'll be sent to one of those uh, instead. So don't worry if you're not registered uh, with a GP and you're not on your own. There are a lot of people struggling to find if they move to a new, a new area. That is a huge issue and I think that's going to become a bigger issue going forward as more GPs retire. People are going to have difficulty finding a GP because a lot, a lot of the GP practices, they're not accepting new patients. not their fault. They're simply full. They can't accept uh, any more. And then John is talking about the vaccination centres that were announced this week. 
great to hear and see all of these vaccination centres. Yes, we don't have vaccines in this country. The Irish have vaccinated 250,000 people, but in the UK, and I'll correct your figure that you gave me for the UK, John, up to yesterday, it was over 15 million people have been vaccinated. How much are all of these vaccination centres costing to set up and how much are people being paid to administer them? This country has been robbed blind by bad decisions by government. Uh, We will await the bill, says uh, John. Okay, let me come in defence and I don't need to come in defence of the government or the HSE or anybody else. But on the vaccination centres and the reason that the work has been done, they're getting the vaccination centres ready and they'll have them all ready for as soon as the vaccinations arrive they will be ready to start administering it. And I actually think that that is a good move. Rather than waiting for the vaccinations to arrive and then suddenly all these vaccines arrive and, you know, if Johnson & Johnson get the go-ahead in the next number of weeks and then all of the Johnson & Johnson vaccines arrive in April, if we don't have these centres ready, then we would be screaming from the hilltop saying to the government, you knew for months these vaccines were coming. Why didn't you prepare? So I do think the preparation of the vaccination centres I actually do think is one of the really positive things and one of the things that they have done right because it will mean that when the vaccinations come and when we when we could be looking at 250,000 vaccines arriving in a week so when those kind of numbers start to arrive now I know we're months away from that but it will happen um, but when that happens we need to be ready we need to be ready vaccination centres there vaccinators all trained up and you literally will get your slot and in you will go John and only too happy to roll up your sleeve and get your uh, vaccine 1850 and I should have just spotted another text on the giving out of change and not giving out of change Anne is saying you know the shopkeeper inside in the coffee shop who refused said to the elderly man he needed to have the exact exact amount of money I wonder would the owner of that coffee shop or any of the workers would they refuse a tip if the person wanted to hand in extra money as a tip, that's a, a, a I, I probably not, Anne. Probably uh, not. 1850-333-103. Well, we're keeping an eye on what's coming out from the government when it comes to the Leaving Cert and schooling. And there's a lot going on, a lot of discussions taking place there. Will we have any news today? I don't know. Michael in Castletown Bear, though, was raising uh, an, an issue on that. He says, Hi, Patricia, the trade union said that the June Junior search should not go ahead this year. May I ask the question, who the hell is running the Department of Education? Is it the teachers' unions or is it the government? I think this is disgraceful. The loss of educational years for those young people can never, ever be recovered. Vaccinate all of those teachers and do it immediately. There is no vaccine for the under-18s at the moment in any part of the world, as far as I'm aware. I think it's utterly shameful and disrespectful to the up-and-coming generation of our children and us as a nation to deny them their education because of a handful of people who think that they have the right to run this country. Thanking you. And that is from Michael. And it was, I don't know whether it was the TY or the ASTI put that forward and said uh, we'd be better off not running the uh, junior search this year and um, instead we'll cancel it. Uh, now, I know another reason that it does look like that the junior search will be cancelled. It is to, well, it'll totally switch focus onto the leaving search, but it also is to make room if they do and it looks like they will run some kind of a writ- sit-down written leaving search. But obviously everyone's going to have to be two metres apart and spacing them all out and whatever. Uh, so they can't have them in cramped conditions doing the exams. So they wouldn't be able to run 
is it 63,000 leaving certs and nearly the same on junior certs they wouldn't be able to facilitate them also because of that the, it does look like the junior cert has been and will be sacrificed this year which uh, will probably go, go down well with some of the students will be happy enough not to have to sit the exams but yeah I think Michael a number of people will agree with you that it is lost education for a whole um, cohort of young people 1850 and talking of a young person can anybody help us out here we've had um, a contact from a family in the Kinsale Carrigaline area to say they have a 10 year old little boy who is autistic and they are looking for he's entitled to 20 hours education from now until the Easter holidays you know the way the July provision works and that normally runs those 20 hours normally run throughout the month of July well something similar now has been offered to young people on the autism spectrum and I imagine probably other special needs kids as well whose schools haven't opened some of the special needs schools have gone back well they've gone back but there's only 50% in each day but then there are others who are not getting any education because maybe they're not in there might be a mainstream or there might be special classes that haven't uh, reopened yet so some of the parents have been offered home tuition so this these parents got on to us to say is there anybody who would be either living in the Kinsale Carrigaline area or would be willing to travel to the Kinsale Carrigaline area and you obviously will get paid because it's it's a, it's a Department of Education funded uh, scheme and you will be required to work uh, 20 hours a week from now until Easter the, you go into the home and work with the uh, child now John Paul was talking with the parents here and the obvious question is well, what about the teachers in the child's school would they be are they free were they free but unfortunately they were unable to uh, facilitate this young uh, lad this little boy so looking for somebody to help help them out and as I say the Department of Education will pay for the teacher so anybody any teacher who has maybe a retired uh, teacher or a teacher in, in a school that's not working remotely because not I mean with a lot of the special needs children working remotely just does not work for them so maybe there's teachers there who are are working for a school but because the remote learning doesn't work for their pupil may be able to help them out so as I say it's in the Kinsale Carrigaline area to give 20 hours of education to a little 10 year old boy who is autistic we have the parents details if anyone can help us out on that 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs a part-time stores person wanted it's for a distribution centre in Quartertown in Mallow, while an apprenticed electrician is required for Rathduff. Qualified electrician wanted that's for a manufacturing maintenance in the East Cork area. And St. Joseph's Foundation are looking for care assistance for both their day and residential services. Applicants must hold a full driver's license. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Sad to say, but we're back again to the issue of illegal dumping on the programme today. An independent councillor, Marcia Dalton, joins me to discuss a roadside dumping spot that took five people three hours uh, to clean up. Good morning to you, Marcia. 
Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Okay, where was this site and what type of litter are we talking about? Um, it was close to Ring of Skiddy and on the Curlebini Road and there it was domestic waste, 100% domestic waste, black bag dumping. Who cleaned it up? Um, I, My daughter, her friend, both 13, and myself were out litter picking generally and we came upon a gentleman with his son um, cleaning it up and we went to help him. So, five of us. Just members of the public, literally. Yeah, it, yeah. The jumping was adjacent to a, a, one of the factories, and the gentleman was from that factory. So and he, ju- he and just it upon himself. Yeah, just it. sick of looking at this litter. Well, the county council wouldn't clean it. Apparently, this was not the first time this spot had been dumped on in this way within this twelve-month period. So, the first time a neighbour contacted the council, and the council said they wouldn't clean it because it was private ground. Um, though it was roadside. It, it, they said, wasn't public ground. So uh, this, they felt they had no choice. They didn't even get onto the council this time. So did the gentleman say how long the bags were in the area? My understanding is about six months. It was a collective from about six months. I do know, however, that since we cleaned it, which was, what, two weekends ago, um, there has been more black bags. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. So, so it wasn't just one person went along with a few bags and left them there. This is this obviously has been, and, and I don't know if it's the same person. This is people just using this area as a dumping site. Honestly, it looks like the same person. Or does it? Yeah, the the waste in each bag was very similar. Any way of identifying the culprit? Not a single piece of paper. Oh, they're clever, aren't they? Nappies, plastic bottles. Uh, meat trays, nappies, jeez, nappies, nappies and more nappies. So it's a household with children? Yeah. Great example, isn't it, to lead to your kids? Yeah. Honestly, I've done a lot of litter picking in my time and perhaps because it was there for so long and and the bags were split and all that, but I don't think I've ever done handled litter that was so disgusting. Well, what did your your daughter and her friend, two 13-year-olds, what did they, did they say anything to you afterwards? I didn't let them handle, like we were, we had to rebag the bags, the bigger ones of us in the crowd. So I didn't let them do that. So they had litter pickers with them because we were litter picking and any waste that was left behind on the ground after we were rebagging the bags, they were doing that. And yeah, they were saying yuck and that kind of thing. But um, And the yeah. bags obviously got ripped as they do when they're out, when they're left out like that for a long period of time. They, you know, they, they so. yeah. Yeah, very much so. So during the week, the, the two girls are doing a project for school, which is why we're doing a, a humongous amount of litter picking at the moment. Um, during the week, another country road, not terribly far away from that location, we were litter picking that and we came across dumping in six sites. Not to the same extent as there, um, but very much dumping, something that we couldn't move um, and I had to contact the county council afterwards. So I'm waiting for them to come back to say whether they'll help clear it or not. And like when you go out litter picking, what you're assuming is you're you're going to be picking up litter that people very ignorantly and stupidly roll down the car window and toss out a coffee cup or, or whatever it is. But like what you're talking about, it, it, it's it's people who are bagging up their litter at home, putting it obviously into a car because they're big black bags of litter. 
driving out to an area, opening up the boot of the car and taking out the bags and just leaving them there. Yeah, absolutely. So in some cases, you can see, it's interesting to see the, the, the different types of dumping. And in some cases, you can see it's clearly a volume of stuff that's built up from a long period of domestic dumping. I'm thinking of this particular road now where we would have identified six sites. In one, it's clearly van waste. So it's bulky waste, it's cookers and bikes and scooters, that kind of thing. So it's van waste. And then in the other locations, it would be smaller black bags, which I would suggest have probably been dumped sporadically in the same spot. Um, so, yeah, different kinds of dumping. When you say van waste, so you're talking about a man with a van who, who perhaps got paid to dump that rubbish? Probably not enough of it there for that, okay. I would have thought. Um, I'd say more likely someone clearing out their own garage. And we have civic community sites. I mean, and, and I'm assuming there's a civic community site in that area, is there? Oh, Raphine is only literally seven minutes from there. Yeah. But because there's a cost involved, not a huge cost, but there's still a cost involved in going to. That's what's, is that acting? Yes. Is it? Yeah. yes, but you know, one wonders because for example, we came across a cooker. We came across a power washer. They're free. A television. These They're are free. free. They're free. They're yeah, free. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There isn't even a gate fee. Yeah. That's, have so you any understanding it. why somebody could think no. this is acceptable? No. <laughs> I don't. And the amount of roadside leisure we're finding is really eye-opening too. Now, look, the girls are doing this project and they're building up their leisure-picking staff and we'll have a better figure picture by the time they're finished but we talk a lot about coffee cups and coffee cups on the sides of roads but we've been out litter picking roadsides now for days on end roads that wouldn't generally be litter picked because they're between settlements and we're finding that coffee cups are an issue yeah sure but they are not the big issue can can there isn't one like day that we've gone out we found less than 200 cans on the side of a road and they're recyclable. Absolutely. And you can bring them to a bring centre. You don't even have to go to the civic community site. And they're free. And so some of it, yeah, is clearly binge drinking. You can see that in certain locations. But a lot of it isn't. It's energy drinks and that kind of thing that commuters would be taking and throw to the window of the car. I, just, I, just, I can't understand the mentality of somebody who, ro- who, who rolls down the window and just tosses it out. You know, you're, know. you're going to a destination. You're either going home or you're going to work or you're, you're going somewhere Yeah, where, where there will be a bin where you can dispose of it responsibly. It's, the mind boggles. The mind just uh, boggles. And, you know, we were only talking about it last week. I think it came up again uh, the week before. And I think... Because of the pandemic and the lockdown and people are going out for walks more, people, I think, are at, at the start, I thought people were seeing more rubbish, that that was the reason, it's just that they're out and about more. But I actually think the pandemic is actually causing more rubbish. I mean, for ex- masks, did you come across any of the PPE gear? Yes, yeah. we did. But I thought we'd find more. I um, In any day, we've done maybe a kilometre each day of roadside and we've never found more than eight items. So that would be, we call them COVID-related items. That would be masks or gloves. Now, in the town centres, it's different. You see, I would literally take with Passage West Tidy Towns, and you see more mask waste, but not on the roadsides between settlements. 
Yeah, perhaps people are starting to use dispo- to reusable ones uh, uh, more. Um, I know that the Labour Senator Mark Wall wants to see a change in the law so that C- CCTV uh, can be used by local authorities to tackle illegal dumping. That seems there's a problem at the moment that if you film somebody, there's concerns about data protection and GDPR, right. even though I think that that should just go out the door. If you are filmed illegally dumping, then I don't care about data protection and GDPR, but then that's just my own uh, theory on it. But is that something we need? We, we really need to look at? Look, yes, it is. It's been one of the tools in the armory of the local authorities for quite some time. But here's the funny thing. That road that we found, the six places that were dumped on, that had CCTV on it in the past year. Now, when the council puts up CCTV, they are, again, under legislation, obliged to put up a sign saying this spot is monitored by CCTV. So that's not entirely helpful, is it? No, we need you need covert cameras, you know, because then, then people aren't stupid. They're just, you know, if they think they'll start putting masks on or they'll make sure that the car registration is, is blocked. But if you've got a hidden camera. Yeah, you don't know. But that's not within the legislation. And the council is obviously bound by legislation. And here's something interesting. You said COVID. We all got the sense that COVID was creating more waste, not just COVID related waste, but people clearing out their houses because they had time to do it. Mm. And the statistics that we got in our most recent council meeting indicates that the number of, the amount of waste collected at civic community sites didn't necessarily go up significantly at all. The amount of waste at bring centres went down. Um, now, the number of complaints of flight tipping rose significantly, but the volume of waste collected by our anti-litter unit didn't. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. What we thought we saw isn't reflected in the numbers. We touched on it last week, the the increases in charges at the civic community site. They're coming in, I think, on the 1st of March, isn't it? It is, yeah. How, what's, your, what's your thought on that? Look, we're running the civic community site at a phenomenal loss. Um, and that's a problem, obviously, particularly for budgets this year. So I think they did the least worst thing that could be done, and that was increasing the gate fee to €4. Euro. I've done a survey of civic community sites nationally and tried to get a feel for if we were off the wall in our charges in County Cork mm. and we're not, in fact, at €3 Euro in a gate fee, we're lower than most of the civic community sites nationally. What I personally worry about is not the €4 Euro gate fee so much, it's the fees increased for things like bulky items. Um, so cost of an armchair disposal, for example, going from €10 Euro to €15. Euro. I worry about that kind of thing. The mattress went up yeah. as well, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. OK, all right. Yeah, but I actually can understand if it's losing money. I mean, we don't want to lose these civic community sites because they are so uh, valuable. It's just to try to get the balance uh, right. Listen, you're, can you will you congratulate your daughter and her friend? I mean, two 13-year-olds out doing all that litter picking. Uh, you know, well done, well, well done. Sweet. The project is fascinating, Patricia. Is it's it? It's about commuter waste. Yeah. And they want to try to create a video where they can speak to commuters within the industrial area of Ringeskiddy, where obviously there are 8,000 people coming and going every day, and, and talk to them as 13-year-olds saying, this is what we found. Wow. Please don't litter our home. Wow. wow. So it's great it's to see that civic-mindedness in young yeah. people. <laughs> 
nice. It's good for them. Yeah, it's, it's listen, they're the future generation. They're the important yeah. ones. Listen, Marcia, thank you for that. Enjoyed our chat. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Good morning thanks to you. Uh, bye-bye. That is um, uh, Independent uh, Councillor Marcia uh, Dalton. John in Skull and Dumping said there's dumping around the waters in the Skull area. They ended up collecting uh, rubbish uh, or rubbish ended up washed up on Kula. Is it Kula Strand? And he said what was shocking was all of the rubbish that was there could have been recycled. He said it was awful to see it floating around the sh- shore. Sad to see it when we've got such great recycling facilities across Cork City and County and uh, people just ignore the recycling. People ignore the recycling facilities and just dump the rubbish. It is destroying sea life. 1850-333-103 The dumping in Tower in Newmarket is uh, shocking, particularly on all of the back roads. Meg says the beggars belief the cost at civic amenity sites keep rising. They should be cancelling the gate uh, fee. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Fine Gael Senator says Airbnb should be taken down while Ireland is in level five restrictions because he says it's facilitating blatant breaches, including house parties and binge drinking, especially in rural areas. Senator Tim Lombard joins me with more on this. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning, Patricia. You cite an incident in Kinsale which highlights how allowing rental properties operate, you feel only fueling house parties. Tell me about that incident. Yes, that incident was well um, documented by the actual Garshi Corner where they apprehended seven different lads, seven different households who came to Kinsale for a weekend to rent a house to a drinking. And that was about two and a half, three weeks ago. It was a weekend. So, like, that kind of scenario has happened continuously then from what I've heard. I've had several people onto the office after, actually, after we spoke and just spoken about this before. And it seems to be a phenomenon around the entire country. Um, I raised this in the Shannon last, last um, Monday morning. And the reaction throughout the entire country has been beyond belief. I've been on maybe seven or eight radio stations. Same story all over Ireland. And even a while ago, people from the UK have contacted me. And it seems to be the exact same scenario in the UK as well, during what they're calling the half break that's over there. So we have a huge issue at the moment. Like Ireland is going through a level five restriction. It is very, very tight. It is five kilometres. It is only within county parameters of travelling. And people are doing so much to actually flatten this curve. But there is, unfortunately, a cohort of people that are breaching rules, going away from these kind of weekend parties that we've seen, and particularly in rural and scenic areas is where they actually seem to be going. Because they think they can get away with it. Absolutely. And the majority of these properties, from what I've been told on the ground, are Airbnb properties. Now, because we we contacted Airbnb, they say they've no evidence to support your claims. They say parties are banned on Airbnb and they take swift and robust action against those who breach the strict policies. Yeah, and Airbnb have made that statement yesterday and I welcome that they're actually coming to the game because we're trying to get them to this point for an awful long time. There's a few things I'd say about Airbnb. First of all, before I made my statement, I looked up their actual websites. And there was over 200 properties alone in Cork for that Tuesday morning available. There was thousands available across the entire country. So you could book into any Airbnb property you wanted any day of the week. And the problem I have is 
why would you be going outside your five kilometres? Why would you go and see scenic areas? To be perfectly honest, they're not going there for medical or health reasons. They're not going there for work reasons. They're only going there for leisure. But these properties shouldn't be advertised. And the other issue, which is becoming very apparent here, is that compared to any other um, actual hotel complex or um, booking destination complex, the level of information or evidence required to book the property isn't available, isn't required on Airbnb. Even other .com booking sites would look for evidence of why you're actually going to the location. Airbnb don't. They actually, all they have is a link to the actual national restrictions and that's all they do. Yeah, they say that they share they share clear information about government travel restrictions, and, but I think everybody and, knows the government's travel restrictions. And the problem I have with Airbnb saying, you know, parties are banned on Airbnb, that's fine to say parties are banned. But if I decide to book an Airbnb tonight, Tim, and I invite you and JP and a gang more to say, look, I've got an Airbnb in a rural area, come join me. Should Airbnb aren't going to know what I'm up to. Absolutely. And that's the ultimate point here. I think Airbnb is they see no evil, they don't want to see no evil. And that's the ultimate problem. And within the level five restrictions, there should be no need for that website to be up and running. I appreciate it's a part of the market when you have a, an operate, a, a normal market operate. But in these current restrictions, they're only making you last bit. And even if you look what happened in the UK this week alone, a Labour MP raised the exact same issue that Airbnb are running amok regarding the UK properties. And she cited numerous examples in her constituency of what's happening over in the UK. And it seems to be a phenomenon that there's no checks and balances here. Nobody's asking why are you staying and where are you going? When I go to Dublin, I have to go to Dublin one day a week, and I'm stopped twice by the guards going up there. Very efficient, very nice. They do their job, and I always compliment them. But when I go to my hotel to book in, they want proof of why I'm in Dublin and where wow. I am. Wow. And now, you know, but, but, but by their need. own admission, Airbnb say in the statement that they issued to us this morning, uh, as part of a, a recent crackdown, we've removed more than two and a half thousand listings across Europe. So by but, their own admission, they've had to remove two and a half thousand and properties. Around, and like that two and a half thousand is a minor fraction of what, how many properties are on that website. Because I actually misread it at the start. I thought it was two and a half thousand in Ireland. Two and a half thousand across Europe around you know, 480 million people. So it's a minor, minor percentage. Um, the other major issue with Airbnb is, and I would have stated this before in the program, we have no actual record of how many Airbnb properties are on the state. Um, who, regulates, who regulates Airbnbs? Yeah. So Cochrane Council have a duty responsibility to regulate Airbnb if an Airbnb is within a rent pressure zone. So if they're within the rent pressure zone, they must apply for plan permission for the Airbnb activity. Outside that rent pressure zone, it is free for gratis. You, me, whoever could set up an Airbnb. And the problem with that is we don't know how many are out there, how they're regulated, and we have no actual listings. Because I asked Cork and the Council to write to every Airbnb owner, and in fairness to them, they were very efficient. They got back to me saying, we don't have a complete list. We don't even know if our list a fraction of how many Airbnbs out there we've been shooting in the dark. So we've been trying to, to grapple with Airbnb for the last few months. And look, I'm glad for the first time they've made a statement on this issue. But they need to do a few things. Number one, they need to have proof of actual why you're going to a destination. And that proof has to be verified. 
The other issue is they need to provide the local authority with a list of every Airbnb within the county. We don't have that list. And because of that, you're literally trying to regulate something that is unattainable because you don't know how many actual Airbnbs are out there. Yeah, and they also in the statement say they have this uh, neighbour support line making it easier for anyone to highlight concerns. Would you suggest to people if they are living in close proximity to a a property that they know is an Airbnb and there are these illegal gatherings going on, would you suggest that they call the neighbourhood support line or would you be calling the Gardaí? Oh, I definitely call both. I think Airbnb need to be put under pressure to deal with what's happening on the ground. And I think this neighbour support line, like it's, look, it's it's a it's a help, but it's far from the solution. But I think the Garshi Corn as well, who are doing a really, really tough job in, in the level five restriction, I think, look, passing in a Shannon Moore scales, it's a really tough job what they're doing. And I just think, you know, they've enough things to do now besides going around weekend regulating house parties for Airbnb. I think Airbnb needs to do the right thing in level five. The country is doing the right thing. Airbnb seem to be hiding behind everything bar doing the right thing. Uh, Lisa and Carrie said the people who own the Airbnbs they are the ones who should be fi- fined they know they shouldn't be renting out these properties as people are not meant to be travelling beyond their 5k so why would you need to uh, rent a property target the property uh, owners and someone else is saying if a house party is broken up does the owner of the property get fined or is it the, if the people in the house? My understanding is the people in the house but I'm not a hundred sure at that point I always thought it was the individuals who actually were in the house itself. But that's one of the things that we kind of have to look at. Um, like, we have an unregulated market at the moment where people can t- are turning up and they're literally staying for these weekend parties. Like, maybe the actual house owner needs to be brought back into this mess as well and tied in as well. But there's a duty responsibility on, you know, the people who are coming out to these parties, but also the owners themselves. And hopefully after look to publicity in the last 48 hours on this issue, owners will take note that this won't be acceptable and something's going to have to be done because, number one, the general public won't accept it, but more importantly, for the state and the health of our country, we can't afford to have these issues. Like, I have house parties of that nature, and it seems to be getting more prevalent. Like, listening to people up and down the country in the last 48 hours, the amount of stories I'm after hearing about last weekend would absolutely frighten me. And Airbnb defending why their properties are available. There are legitimate reasons for travel, they say, during these difficult times, such as work-related travel that's required for workers providing essential services. Do you, Are there many and essential workers in staying in Airbnbs? Who, in the name of God, is going out to rural and scenic areas on weekends for work for essential services? Like, when I read that line in that actual press release, it showed that they had their head in the sand. Like, that is the ultimate issue. If you have to go to work for essential services and stay away, number one, if you need to go there, you need to prove it. And that there's no mechanism on the website for that. But what's happening here is, in these locations, there's nobody going there for work or essential services. These are rural, scenic destinations for a weekend, traditionally daily tourism locations, and they're going there for basically a tourism holiday. Okay. All right. We'll keep an eye on this one, Tim. In the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on on the programme. That is uh, Fianna Gael, uh, Senator Tim uh, Lambert. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
and an email in from a listener. I won't say a name or anything on this, but it's uh, reacting to Linda, who contacted us also by, by email, not Linda's real name, who's in a very abusive situation at the moment and just looking for advice and help as to what she can do and how can she get out of it and how can she move on with her life. Hi, Patricia. My heart is breaking for that lady who you called Linda yesterday who emailed about her situation. It's 2021. It is an outrage that this is still happening. Her story brought me back 35 years ago and I know I've written to you before about this. She has been in my thoughts all last night and I know how isolated she's feeling and the fact she emailed you, that's a really positive step. My advice though is, and it's not a quick fix, keep reaching out have that discussion with the professional. Keep a log of your abuse as your partner will always try to convince you that it's always your fault. Make a plan that does, of course, include your two children. Look deep into your own heart and realise your true worth. It will not be easy and I would never say it because now she's at her most vulnerable and putting up with, with the abuse is almost easier than taking the step away. The strength you will find will be enough to stand up to that brute and you will be able to walk away. I can guarantee you it will get easier and when you find that peace of mind and your confidence returns, you will find a life that is worth living. A life you and your children truly deserve. He's the loser here, not you. I never regretted the decisions I made. I pray that she finds the strength. That's gorgeous. Thank you. And so many others who have been in. And I knew when I saw Linda's email and we made the decision that I would call it out on air, I knew that there would be people. And I said it before I even read the email. I, I knew that there would be people who have walked in the shoes that Linda's walking in now and would be able to reach out and uh, offer some kind of con- some kind of advice and courage and confidence because that's what she needs. I mean, she's she's been beaten so badly. It's hard to have that confidence, but that confidence uh, will return. And, and I saw there was a couple of others in this morning, including one from Ross saying, Linda, the poor lost soul. Yes, you can do it. I did it against all the odds uh, 30 years ago with less help that's available today. And that's a good point. Yeah, when you're doing what you did 30 years ago and the emailer who did it 35 years ago there wasn't as much help and support but there's so much help and support out there now uh, but Linda just needs to reach out but I think that emailer is right the very fact that she emailed that's the first step that's the first step on the road out of this miserable life that she's living at the moment and she will get her life back on track and so many people thinking of her and just wanting to do nothing but to uh, wish her well and, and I hope she stays in contact with us and lets us know how life pans out uh, for her but Thank you to so many people wanting to just to say they're thinking about her and uh, just saying, you know, she can do it. She can do it, but she needs to reach out and go to the professionals. 1850 Mavis has been on talking about post and post being late, but it is starting to arrive in households, which is terrific. Mavis said, my brother's Christmas card arrived today. Happy Christmas to you, Mavis. You can always look at it as being early from next year. He posted it from New Zealand. It was posted early in December. Whoa, two and a half months later. But better late than never, says our Mavis. My nephew's card arrived about 10 days ago. He also lives in New Zealand. And Mavis said, on that day, I said the same thing. Better late than uh, never. Funny, isn't it, in the middle of February to be opening up uh, a card, a lovely Christmas card, which is so far from our thoughts uh, now. Thanks for that, uh, Mavis. Okay, some more of your comments uh, coming in. John says, Patricia, 
the daily COVID figures aren't going down. Well, they are going down, but they're just not going down fast enough. And it's almost like they've plateaued. But we're doing well here in Cork and Munster in, as a whole seems to be doing uh, quite well, which we'll take some comfort from. But anyway, John reckons the reason why the figures have kind of plateaued and are not falling quicker. He says it's the same people who are obeying all of the rules. But And this is John's comment, the uneducated people seem to think that they are invincible. Didn't the government keep the off-licence open for them, uh, says uh, John. Well, there's lots of people who are abiding by the rules, John, who do go into off-licence uh, off and, you know, I, I enjoy a glass of wine, I have to say, and, and but I'm still abiding by all of the rules. I haven't moved beyond my 5K and the only place I go is work and the highlight of the week is the big shop. And that's about it. And I'm I'm not doing anything else. Am I getting sick of it? Absolutely. But listen, we're we're all in this together. And the fact that the vaccinations and it just it was my heart filled with joy today. You know, looking at the over eighty fives coming out yesterday to get their vaccinations, and we will get there. We will get there and look it's a lot better to be where we are now than where we were at this time last year when we were just heading into it in that long year God if we'd known a year later we'd still be we'd still be there but the, at least we've got a vaccine and vaccines uh, with more and more of them uh, coming on but yeah it's the minority who are ruining it for the majority for sure you're dead right on that and Anne says Patricia don't nobody can be fooling themselves house parties uh, will never stop happening Anne says she is already aware that people are having house parties planned for nearer to St. Patrick's Day and I saw up on Instagram I think Twitter had it as well there was somebody advertising some kind of a rave they're selling tickets for it and they're having it on I don't know if it's on the eve of St. Patrick's Day or St. Patrick's Day itself so yeah and did you see in Birmingham was it they they found an illegal it was it was a full nightclub is what it looked like and then a, a Shebeen the, the COVID arms or something it, it was named so it's not just here in this country you're always going to have the my, the minority but then it is the minority who as John is saying is ruining it for everybody else uh, Richie says uh, Patricia though this is a couple of calls coming in about recycling and about rubbish and dumping of rubbish that we spoke about um, in the last hour. Richie says, on the recycling centres, if people, oh, this is if you've got an old mattress. If people cut up an old mattress, you can actually take out the metal springs out first and then you roll up the material later. You end up with it at about a third of its original size. You can do the same with old uh, furniture, wood and fabric mostly, but you can break it up and then it's obviously easier to uh, recycle and certainly easier than people deciding just to dump it in a scenic area. Hi Patricia, listening to the person, it was Councillor Marcia Dalton who was talking about the dumping of rubbish. What a carry on. I live in a rural part of Mill Street and on two occasions I found black bags dumped in my yard. Never opened them by the way as one doesn't know what could be inside in any of those bags but in both occasions the smell emanating from the bags was absolutely rotten. I take my rubbish to the recycling centre. It's open here in Mill Street Civic Community Site three times a week. So now I'm not only paying to get rid of my own rubbish but I'm also paying for those mean, dirty, nasty people who just expect other people to clean up after them. Absolutely disgraceful, yeah, and so say all of us. And thank and well done to you for not just deciding to dump the rubbish and leave it just for somebody else to clean up, but actually taking it to the civic community site and then paying for it. Well done, well done. Hi, Patricia. My rubbish disposal bill is about two hundred euro, and that would be for a six month uh, period. Obviously, if it was a family 
that figure would even be higher. I'm thinking of a family that perhaps now is on a COVID payment. Maybe they wouldn't be able to uh, afford it. I'm sure there are people who genuinely can't afford it. Surely they should be offered some alternative to dumping because dumping is so so shameful. But then after all of that, you also have lazy people who just flick stuff out of their car window and they couldn't care less. But this problem, I think at the moment, when we're talking about the illegal fly tipping and, you know, domestic rubbish in black bags. This listener is wondering, could it be a financial issue with some people dumping when they shouldn't be dumping? Because this text was saying in the boom times, it was unheard of. Well, we've always had fly tipping, but it seems to be worse. Could it be financial? Could it actually be people who are on a COVID payment? People have lost their jobs and just can't afford to pay for their refuge charges and instead are going down the route of illegal uh, dumping. That's what one listener thinks it may be. Hi, uh, Patricia. Is it known if the staff in the vaccination centres will all have been vaccinated themselves? Yes, I know anyone who's going to be giving vaccines, they've already got the GP practices, for example, they've all been uh, vaccinated. And I was speaking with a practice nurse in one GP practice who's going to be a vaccinator and she was saying, yeah, she's already been vaccinated. So yes, I'm, I'm nearly certain that everybody working in those centres have already been uh, vaccinated. They'd have to be, though, because they're going to be very close and personal with people People, even though they still wear masks and the person getting vaccinated wear, wear masks but they have to protect themselves and obviously to protect the people who they are giving the vaccines uh, to. On Leaving Cert and the exams, Patricia, I think it's only right that the junior cert exam should be forgotten about for this year and let them continue with online education until next September when COVID may have come under some kind of control. The exam then could be run next year for the third years and the fourth years have a double year for the junior search. The remaining 2021 school year should be devoted to fifth and sixth year students to prepare them for this year's exams and next year's exams. And you could do it in schools that were vacant rooms where they'd all would be able to socially distance. So keep everybody else at home doing remote learning. That is a suggestion coming in from uh, Sandy. They are a lot of questions there coming in for Peter. Thank you for that. The government needs to, Stephen says, the government needs to tell the Leaving Cert what's going on and what they are doing. I feel it's all happening too slow. I feel sorry for them. They will be too slow when it comes, wait and see, they'll be too slow when it comes to the living with COVID next week, says Stephen, who says hashtag too slow with all of the decisions. And Stephen also has an ad in saying, by the way, I hate that expression. We're all this in this together when clearly we're not all in it together because you have some people who just do not want to be in it and they're breaching all of the guidelines. And just but but Stephen, I do think you're right. And I think a lot of people will agree with you that we that the, the class, the Leaving Cert class certainly need to hear what's happening and they do need to hear it. It's unfair. They're, you're, you know, we all all remember the year we did our leaving search. We all remember what a stressful time it was, and it's, it's even more stressful now with the the points, the competition for the points system to get into third level. And you know, it's just it's a very stressful time. And for leaving search, the, the class of twenty twenty one, a little bit like that. We we mentioned the class of twenty twenty last year when they didn't know if they were coming or going. It's that same sense again uh, this year. And I know Michal Martin has said he hopes that the government will be able to give clarity about the leaving search after the meeting with the cabinet subcommittee on education, which is happening this afternoon. 
afternoon. The Cabinet will be briefed on the talks that have been taking place aimed at devising a, f- a new format for the Leaving Cert exam for this year. And Micheál Martin himself said that the Leaving Cert students were under enough stress and he said the time has come to give them the clarity and that the partners in education were all uh, working on this but they need the clarity now and while no decision has yet been made on a date for the reopening of the schools the Taoiseach said it would be a phased programme and they'll move rather cautiously because yesterday it's around lunchtime I started seeing media reports that the schools were opening on the 1st of March now seemingly that was I don't know where that came from but even the Minister for Education and a lot of the government ministers were scratching their heads because it had never been discussed, never been discussed that they were opening on the 1st of March but it has since been debunked but it is going to be a phased reopening sometime I'm thinking in March but there's been no date uh, set for that uh, yet we're just going to have to wait and on the dumping of rubbish and when I mentioned that it's a Labour senator is trying to bring through trying to get legislation brought in to change the legislation when it comes to hidden cameras and that you could put hidden cameras in areas in order to catch people who are doing the illegal dumping and particularly the fly tipping and the reason the problem that the council have at the moment is to do with GDPR and people's data and privacy and all of that and their their hands are tied with GDPR. Uh, somebody says, in the good old times, the law would never stop us from doing the right thing. Now the law, i.e. GDPR, seems to provide a shield for wrongdoers. How wrong is that? 1850 333 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non emergency and non medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. The AGM of Dukas Clonakilty Heritage is going to be held on Zoom tonight at 8 o'clock. Now, the Zoom login has already been emailed to members, but if you would like to join the meeting, you can email Dukas Lecture and Field Trips at uh, gmail.com Dara Community Centre in Ring in Clonakilty they're holding a wellness webinar it's tomorrow night at 8 guest speaker will share practical tips to help with sleep nutrition anxiety and stress management to register for this free Zoom event you call 086 and Hennessy Timber Group in Clonakilty. They're holding a raffle in aid of Bumbleins and the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Great prizes up for grabs, including an adventure playset valued at €2,400. To be in with a chance to win these great prizes, you go to idonate.ie and Hennessy's outdoor raffle draw takes place on the 20th of February. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Ken's Pure Core Quiz. We've got thousands of euro to give away on C103. Whatever it takes. And I'm hoping to give away more of that money. I have 103 euro to give away on three Cork questions. Do I have a contestant? I do. It's Maura O'Connell in uh, Ballydesmond. Good morning to you, Maura. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. How's everybody in Ballydesmond today? It's not too bad, the sun is shining, but there's the odd shower, like as usual. I know, but when the sun comes out, it's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice to see it shining for a change. Are you up to anything special today? Um, no, well, I was thinking of going shopping to Pinnies or maybe give you a run to <laughs> Mahon Point or somewhere, but <laughs> it might be a little bit outside the old 5K for Belly Desmond, like. <laughs> yeah, and dream on. You'll, be, you'll, have, you'll have exactly, a long wait yeah. standing outside pennies to open up. <laughs> yeah, well, if, the, if my grandkids now could go back to school, the creators would be great. 
the kids are finding it tougher, aren't they? Oh, very, very tough. Do you think it's tougher than last year on them? Oh, it's way, way tougher. Much, much tougher because, you know, they have all this stuff online and one of them is seven and the other is six. And trying to, you know, their mother is a full-time worker. She's a frontline worker. And it is, Jesus, it is hard. And are you, are you the childminder? Well, a lot of the time, yeah. And her partner is in the buildings. So he's off work as well. So we're kind of... Uh, Doing a between you. Have a, you, you have a builder and a mother and a grandmother trying to do teachers' jobs like. And are you, are you good at the maths and the English and the Irish? Or what's your forte? Uh, English and... Well, not too bad on the maths. Okay. But as for the old Greg, I like to thought she had job like. <laughs> I've heard of more people getting stuck on the Irish as well, saying... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, the writing. I yeah. find the writing is ridiculous because they've gone from doing individual letters yeah no and now they're the, they're on the join on writing yeah and when you're when you're only six or seven it's not great like do you know I can still remember going from learning the joined up writing and finding it really difficult yeah but you were in fifth or sixth class that's in Patricia yeah true they're doing it much younger now aren't they yeah, yeah. I mean why they start them off when they're starting school and then the year later they're doing the joined up very early yeah, it's true for them because, you know, they're, they're hardly able to write the ABCs when all of a sudden then they're going to... Joined up writing. Yeah. And are they on midterm this week? Oh, they are. They, they finished now this morning. There was the, the last of the homework now this morning. And uh, there's a little bit of a, a break now. Thank God. God. Yeah. <laughs> for, 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 for everybody, yeah, not just for the kids. Okay, uh, I'm getting totally distracted here. I have to do a competition with you, don't you? I do, oh. yeah. Okay, got to gotta press this. Here we go. Okay, true or false? The South Infirmary Hotel is located on Blackrock Road. True. Porky Rin was once known as Pine Lodge or Flower Lodge. Flower Lodge. Cork's Queeving Kelleher is a goalkeeper for what Premier League club in the UK? Oh, jeez. Name anyone. Name anyone. Uh, Red. Think red. No, I haven't a clue. Ah, it was got Liverpool. It was Liver- I got stuck on that this morning as well and John Paul was ch- saying to me, say anyone, say anyone. And I went completely blank. I couldn't even think yeah. of, of, it's Liverpool. He's Liverpool. You got the other two right. Well done. You knew the Porky Rin was once called Flower Lodge. Yeah. Well done, well done. And the South Infirmary <laughs> is on the old uh, Black Rock Road. Do mm-hmm. enter again more, okay? Okay, on that 103 year. And enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Bye bye. That is uh, Maura O'Connell in uh, Ballet Desmond. And I wonder with a name like Maura O'Connell, can she sing? I should have asked her that. The wonderful Maura O'Connell, the singer as well. Okay, that's Ken's Pure Cork Quiz. Your chance. No luck with us today, but your chance to win again this afternoon. Nick plays another round, and then Martina plays another round uh, this afternoon as well. And then, of course, we'll start it all over again tomorrow when Ken will have two contestants, 20 past seven and and at 20 past 8 tomorrow morning. 1850 We are looking for your gardening questions, please, for Peter Dowdle. Or if you want to text or WhatsApp a gardening question, you can to 0862 103 It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Peter Dowdle, the Irish uh joining me on this sunny afternoon. Even though it's got a little bit cloudy now, but the, the sun uh, was out earlier when it was absolutely gorgeous. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Okay, good afternoon to you. Uh, we were just saying that the gorgeous weather we've yesterday and again uh, today and the amount of people getting out for walks or getting out in the garden is just good for the soul, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's therapy, isn't it? And I know we've talked about it before, but we've really all benefited so much from the outdoor green space, be it our own outdoor green space or just the local environment. But we've all, it's been a challenging 12 months to say the least. And we've all, I think, benefited so much from from being outdoors when we can. Okay, and there's obviously a lot of people have taken to the garden. And like we know that, that during this pandemic, a lot of people have discovered their garden and discovered they have an extra room in their house, which is it's terrific. And I think it's become a hobby for so many people. And that's reflected in the amount of questions that are coming in. So let's get straight into questions. Liz in Kinsale wants Peter's advice, your verdict on injecting young fruit trees with phosphate and chem, chem jet injections. Uh, what is your view on injecting trees? And she wants also to treat apple scab or is that what she wants to inject for? I'm not too sure. But anyway, injecting trees? Well, I don't have an opinion on, on injecting them because I've never, I've never heard of it. Now, it could be something that they do commercial fruit growing, but I don't... I would be slow to to inject the trees with anything. I don't know what... I don't know, so I don't have an opinion on what she's talking about, unfortunately. Um but like a good fruit tree, provided you're giving it the right conditions and the, the good soil, it's all about the soil and feeding the soil because everything comes out. I'm always going on and on about it, but everything comes from that magical energy, which we call the soil. So if your soil is healthy, then you'll have healthy fruit trees. So keep the soil good and healthy, uh, full of nutrients, full of humus, good soil texture, good soil structure. And then the fruit trees will be fine. And I don't think they'll need to be injected in terms of scab. Yeah, it's an apple scab. It's a fungal problem, which does affect apples, of course. Uh, and the best course of action with, with any fungal infection is to try Prevention is better than cure. So what we call cultural control, Trish. So what that means is is that with good pruning to allow good air circulation through the plant, you're creating conditions that are, the, the fungal infections are less likely to develop in. And also at the time of bud burst, which is when those dormant leaf buds on the stem burst back into growth, it's when the energy, if you like, starts to 
flow through the plant again, which normally happens middle of March, but it could be as late as April. Well, at that time of bud burst, then drench the plant and the soil around it with a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water. That's an organic broad spectrum fungicide, which is very good as a preventative measure to prevent the, the, the apples getting scab in the first place. If they still get it, uh, pruning is going to be very important uh, come, let's say, next October, November, to prune out any infected growth and, and to keep a good open centred bush to the tree. And we're going to stay on fruit because, and I know John Paul says he sent you on this picture that Maura has sent in to us. Uh, Maura says, I planted raspberries in my garden a couple of years ago. Last year, the crop was tiny in comparison to what it could be. I only have a small space and I may have been over ambitious in my planting as I absolutely love strawberries. Could the bad crop be due to overplanting or something else? Picture attached. And we got the picture to you. What do you think? Um, Yes, you said strawberries there just by accident. Raspberries, oh, sorry, raspberries. Just for anybody listening. Okay. Not at all, you, just for, for anybody listening. Yeah, I did. I do see the picture. Uh, and it does look a bit congested, Trish, but I think most importantly, uh, you, you need to prune it. So, um, Maura, I don't know if she's pruned it. It doesn't look like she's ever pruned it. So they're, they're at least two years in the ground at this stage. So what you do with raspberries, and I think this is probably the, the reason that the crop wasn't so good. I'd be 99% sure. So when... W- you haven't pruned them at all now so what i would do is look for the older growth amongst those clumps look for the really woody canes and cut them to ground level at this stage now keep only about i would say five or six canes per plant trish uh, and tie them to to some wire if possible to support them and leave them fruit away feed them uh, again keep the soil good and rich and healthy so feed them with an organic plant food like the nature safe or the, the bio gold the bio gold is, is like a seaweed one with um an added yeast extract which kind of stimulates the soil so that's a very good one to get it's another irish one bio gold comes in a black bottle it's great great product um and that is good for to, to promote fruiting plants so i would say prune them so there's only six or seven fresh canes remaining uh, feed it and then I'd say you'll be okay and just pray for for good weather this summer now going forward what you'd want to do is once you've harvested the raspberries then the the, the canes that fruited this year now this will be in say August September so the, the canes that will fruit this summer they're the ones that you remove to ground level and the ones that haven't fruited they'll be quite green and pliant they're the ones that you're keeping for next year it's much easier to do that in the autumn because it's much clearer to see which is this year's and which were last year's if you know what i mean so keep the green ones about half a dozen per plant and cut off the one cut back down to ground level the ones that have fruited already hi uh peter when should i cut back bodlia and is it keenothus cianothus well, cianothus yeah See, an Othus is the Californian lilac, Trish. You definitely know what I'd say if you I've, saw I'm it. I'm just Googling Californian a picture lilac, of it yeah. now. Yeah, I know it well, yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely, lovely plant. Um, so I wouldn't cut the Cianotus back until just after flowering. So it'll flower kind of between April and June, maybe even going on a bit later. Um, and prune it just after flowering, okay? With the Budlia, and I wonder, there was somebody who wrote to me through the examiner asking me the same question. I wonder, is it the same person? I hope it is because I never replied to the email. I, my apologies. Um, with Budlia, I would, you could still cut it back now. So cut back a lot of the older wood in the Budlia, leaving again younger Young, like with the Budlia, the growth could be as thick as your arm, Trish. So remove that old wizened growth. Or if 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 that's only up to a few inches, cut back to that growth in a, a term that we call pollarding, um, and keep the the growth its kind of finger thickness. Uh, and again, just thin it out. 
and you, you can cut it back in height as much as you want because it'll give you any amount of height later this year uh, but now is the time to do that Jess and This is probably too broad a question for Eileen in ovens when is the correct time to cut back shrubs? It's probably too broad isn't it? It is it is, but let me give you a kind of broad answer if I can, Trish. It is, of course, because it's it's specific to, to, to different plants as to when you cut them back. But if it's spring flowering, now this isn't, I preface this by saying this isn't 100% true, but it's a good rule of thumb. So if something is spring flowering, so if it's coming into bloom over the next couple of months, well, then it most likely is flowering on growth, which was produced last year. Okay, so don't cut it back too late in the year because you'll sacrifice next spring's growth. So in other words, for something that is spring flowering, cut it back just after flowering so that it has enough time to produce enough growth this year for flowers next year, if you understand me. Mm. And then the for plants that are summer flowering and autumn flowering, well, again, this isn't always true, but they will tend to flower on current year's growth. So uh, let's say the Bodleia, which is going to flower in 2021, is going to flower on growth produced during 2021. So it's safe to cut that back now because it hasn't produced any growth yet. So there's kind of for a general question, there's a general and enough answer. Okay, well done. Hi, Peter. We're looking for <laughs> suggestions, please, of what to plant on a raised bed in the centre of a lawn. It's to disguise septic tank pipes, etc. We're hoping for a variety of heights and some evergreen shadow roots, obviously, would, would have to be important. What would you suggest? It's a kind of difficult one to answer just just, just like that uh, on the radio without seeing the place. And and the first piece of advice I would give, and you may not like this as a, as a, a reaction, but is sometimes like obscuring uh, something in the garden is obviously a very common, I'm not going to use the word problem, but common challenge, let's say, right? And I'll often point out to people, sometimes when you're trying to obscure something, by obscuring it, you're drawing more attention to it, if you know what I mean, mm. right? So this is the first piece of advice I'd give. So in other words, if there's no planting in that whole, I don't know the garden, you see, So, but if there was no planting in the whole garden and then you suddenly plant five or six plants around your septic tank, you're really just drawing attention to the fact that you're trying to hide something, okay. right? So my first piece of advice is to tie it in with other landscaping around the place. So maybe maybe there is a flower bed near it maybe extend that flower bed to meet this one so it's all become more seamless um or, or maybe um if there isn't maybe create a larger flower bed so it looks like part of the greater landscaping plan but it is doubling up by hiding the septic tank and the pipes so that is the first piece of advice i give in terms of what to grow so you could go with something evergreen like a pittosporum you could go with we mentioned earlier one of the callers ceanothus ceanothus is a good evergreen various different heights um the pittosporums will grow quite tall um uh, another thing you could go for and i think it'll be lovely is something scented because obviously septic tanks and the pipes around them can have the the mm. unwanted uh scent so maybe go for this is a mouthful of a name trish but sarsicocca also known as christmas box or sweet box flowering at this time of the year strongly scented maybe try some of that because the, the like there's nothing really that's going to overpower that scent but it's nice it, it will certainly help to neutralize it maybe some roses as well for later in the summer but the most important thing is that you don't just put in six or seven different plants there and and hope that nobody notices that you tie it into the greater landscaping yeah. and maybe choose one or two that you like and repeat them a few times uh, Mary and Bantry wants to know when is the correct time to apply lime to a soil to a, to a lawn if you're applying it to a lawn, I don't normally apply lime on its own. It's, it's The reason you're doing that is to make the, the soil more alkaline, which is good practice because grass likes slightly alkaline soil. But um, 
uh, and moss doesn't. So it is good practice. So if you're using lime or what I use, it's the lawn gold, which does the same thing, but it has the added nutrients. I, I will apply it from March onwards. I think the soil temperature, I think I'm right. It could be corrected on this. I think the soil temperature has to be about nine or 10 degrees. Um, so middle of March onwards be, be when I start using it. Mike in Bantry wants to know when should you give conifers a liquid feed? Well, again, going back to something we said there earlier in the piece, Trish, if, if the plants are growing in the right conditions and if the soil is healthy, they, they may not need it. So in other words, if they're established conifers, they shouldn't need feeding. If they do, then there's something afoot. There's something else wrong, I think. If they're only new, if they're relatively new and you're just helping them to get established, then liquid feed them. Again, I would, wouldn't do it at this time of the year because you don't want to promote growth at the moment, Trish, because uh, as I said two weeks ago, if you remember, February can often have a very, very cold snap mm. uh, and we're not out of it yet. So I wouldn't be feeding them yet. Again, I'd wait till we're coming out the other end. So again, probably middle of March onwards before I'd start liquid feeding the conifers or anything really. Mary says, hi Patricia, my, ger- my Peter, my geraniums have grown very tall and leafy. I'm wondering if I could cut them back. Would that help to thicken them up? And if so, is now the right time to do this? Yes and no. So um, yes, it will help to thicken them up by cutting them back, definitely. Uh, no, now is not the right time. It's too cold. Now, I, I'm hoping that those geraniums are indoors because they should be for the winter. Now, if they are outdoors and they've managed to come through the cold spell that we've had, then they're doing well. But I imagine they're in a glass house or in a porch or something like that. Wait till they start to produce a bit of new growth. Again, we're talking mid-March onwards, Trish, when the growth is starting again, uh, and then cut them back. And cut them back gradually. You might want to bring them back to a few inches, but if you do it that severely in one go, it'll be too much of a shock. So cut them back gradually, bit by bit over the next, well, from March onwards, over a few weeks, uh, and then you'll get much more, much better, more bushy plants. Okay, and actually the listener, Liz in Kinsale, who had earlier asked about your opinion on injecting trees, uh, trees, she's actually sent on a link and I'll get John Paul to send it on to you for you to take a, lo- a look at it. It's, it's out of the UK. Do I will, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's to do with injecting trees against insecticides and fungicides. So I'll, I'll get John Paul to send that I'd on to you. I'd like to have a look at and it. We can, we yeah. can talk about it next week. Uh, and Jim wants to know, Jas Peter, please, uh, am I still okay to prune apple and pear trees? Apple and pear trees. I would say leave the pears for now. Where are we, March? It's a bit late, being honest with you. You could give them a light trim. I'd leave the pears, uh, but you could leave the pears till later in the summer, but give the apples a light trim now, all right? But it's getting a bit late, certainly. Okay, and what always comes up at this time, somebody's saying we'd love to plant daffodils. Is it too late? Yes. Well, yes and no. It's it's the kind of thing, it's too late to get them. You probably won't get them anywhere. But if you have them or if somebody has some daffodil bulbs and you haven't planted them. So ideally, yes, Trish, you're right. Ideally, they should be planted in the autumn, anytime between kind of August and and let's say December. Um, But if you have them and they haven't been planted, well, you've nothing to lose. They'll just flower a bit later this year. But if they've gone anyway soft, so if they're soft to the touch, throw them out. Yeah, but you certainly won't be able to buy daffodil bulbs. Even though some of the supermarkets sort of sell them in, but they're more for indoors. They're, you know, in... Yes, possibly the paper whites and things of that, yeah. Okay, all right, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for that, Peter. And just very briefly, Trish, if I may, for anybody else who has questions, on Fridays now at one o'clock on my own Facebook page, Irish Gardener, I'm doing a, a Facebook Live where I obviously can't get to all the, the emails. We discussed that before. Yeah. But for anybody who wants a, a question answered on Facebook, the Irish Gardener, Fridays, one o'clock, I'll, I'll do my best. Okay, well done. So Irish Gardener and at one o'clock. And how long will it run for? 
an hour, as long half as it takes. Hour? Last week was the first, about normally about half an hour. Well, 40 minutes last week was the first one I did, so probably about half an hour each week. Well done. Well done. Okay, good luck with that, and we'll speak to you next Wednesday. Look forward to it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. Uh, that is uh, Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener. Check out his Facebook if you want to, to get f- uh, further questions uh, answered. We were talking about dumping earlier on on the programme. A listener says, last March, the council took the recycling bin from Dunmanway. The nearest one now is 20 miles to McCroom or Skibbereen. You need to have services available locally because if you don't, that unfortunately does lead to people uh, dumping. And Pat on email says, I regularly pick rubbish on the roadside and energy drink cans are dumped everywhere. Now that's interesting, Pat, because that's exactly ties in with, with what Marcia Dalton, County Marcia Dalton said when she's out with her do- 13-year-old daughter and the daughter's friend and they're doing this project and she said, well, everybody talks about the coffee cups and while they're still finding the coffee and the tea cups, but she said she can't get over the amount of cans and that every single time they go out, the amount of drink cans they find. And she said it is these energy uh, drinks. So it's interesting. There's a Pat saying the same thing. And he's another person who regularly goes out picking up uh, rubbish. And people are so fantastically civic minded that they'll go out and collect other people's rubbish. It really is incredible. Michael Abandon is a bit annoyed and sick to the teeth of guys calling door to door, handing out the bags for clothes collection, you know, the clothes collection for charity. I don't know if many give the bags out. So Usually just stickers, isn't it? Labels to tell you what day they're they're call they're calling. Uh, anyway, uh, Michael makes the point: we can't call into our next door neighbour because house visits are banned. Yet you've got these guys going door to door every morning in the Bandon uh, area, touching gates, lifting letter boxes, and dropping these leaflets into people's houses. I shouted at the person doing it earlier this morning, and he said, "Sure, Mister, I'm only doing my job." I did ring the number on the bag. Guess what? Didn't get an answer from the number. I also contacted the Gardaí, but I feel it shouldn't be allowed at the moment. Is it also annoying other people that you're getting leaflets through your door for clothes collections? And surely with level five restrictions, we shouldn't be having people calling door to door. And back to litter picking. And this it came into Twitter at C103 Cork from the Band in Tidy Towns group. They say they're seeing huge increase in the amount of litter. It's a huge concern right across the county. It was always an issue litter being dumped out of cars and fly tipping but it seems to have been exasperated by COVID. No easy answer to solving this but the public reporting and active enforcement measures certainly would help and that's abandoned tidy down. That's where we wrap it up for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul for working on the programme. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock and then I'm Patricia Messenger. Look after yourself and stay safe. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.